Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the last Forest Ramble podcast of the 2019-2020 season. Um, it wasn't supposed to be the last one um, until a few weeks ago. We were pretty confident that this would just be a celebration of where we're at and looking forward to the playoffs. But we know that it didn't work out that way. Um, in today's podcast, we are not just going to dwell on Wednesday night and we're not just going to dwell upon the position of the manager, although naturally those are big, big issues. Um, I'm joined today by Stephen Topless. Hi there, Stephen. Hello. And by the Maradon the Midlands. How are you doing? I'm OK, thank you. OK. Um, and... Unusually for this podcast, we're going to do something slightly different because I want to um, go straight over to Jeremy Davis with the Forest Ramble sketch. The Forest Ramble end of season sketch by Jeremy Davis. C'est un jeu seulement. It's only a game. But it really pisses you off sometimes. And there you have it. Um... It's difficult not to feel some anger, some despondency. uh, And of course, you know, without going into details, we're all old enough that we've been there before. Um, Stephen, describe to me how you felt at 10 o'clock on Wednesday night. Even though I've been through this before with Forrest, I was still completely stunned by what had happened. I uh, couldn't find the words to explain why or how or the what's of why Forrest lost the position that they were in. With 20 minutes to go, they were in the playoffs. They got the point that they'd needed to secure that playoff place. And you just felt all they had to do was see the game out. And... It would have been a case of job done, you're in the playoffs and, you know, we got the result that we needed. And then it, in, that, in the space of, it wasn't even 20 minutes, it was a little bit less than that. Suddenly goals start flying in at the city ground, goals start flying in at the Medeski. And before you know it, Forrester's seventh and the season's over. And it was, it, and it was, the way it played out and the manner of it was just one of the most brutal ends to a season I think anybody could have asked for. Um, Maradon the Midlands, not so long ago when we thought we might actually get into the playoffs, we did do a podcast special, didn't we? And one of the key things that we talked about was the Yeovil match where in the words that you used, we were 3-1 up with less than 10 minutes to go. Um, Surely that's the best parallel for what happened on Wednesday. Yeah, it had um, a striking similarity to that night. It was was just um, 
an implosion. That's the only way of, of describing it. Uh, but for me, it was it was it was inevitable almost that we were going to do that. I was I was sitting there waiting for us to do that during the course of the day before the match. I'd, I'd said to people, "I bet you." Swansea score in the in injury time, and we let one in in injury time to knock us out of the playoffs. I was I was fairly confident we were going to lose, and I was very confident that Swansea were going to win. It's just the last few weeks, which just it seems like a, it's like a people described it as a car crash, and you could see it happening. There's nothing we could do to stop it. Um, and yeah, there's like ten minutes when I thought during that second half when we were keeping the ball and the game seemed to die and Stoke seemed to stop playing. And I thought, yep, we, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then straight after that drinks break, it just, um, it happened. The inevitable happened. It was, uh, and you could see it happening and, and it happened right, right in front of our eyes. Yeah. I mean, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Forrest, one thing that has there's two features of, of Forest play uh, during lockdown is that generally they've not started matches well and unfortunately they've not finished matches well. So it's a pretty damning combination, isn't it? And that explains a lot about the results. Um, it was difficult on Wednesday because it was so much in Forest's hands for um, for so long and I was in a podcast with Over the Trent uh, yesterday and as we discussed, Forest were in the playoffs from Boxing Day until the 90th minute on Wednesday. So to miss out then, Stephen, is, that's a failure, isn't it? Yeah, it, that Forest were in that position, uh, a good position, a solid position for a long period of the season. Uh, there's no getting away from the, the fact that they, they failed to hang on to that playoff place through their own shortcomings. The failure to manage games properly, the failure even to finish teams off, scoring more goals to make games safe. And all of those factors combined over, more so over the last six or seven weeks, it's, it was almost diluted into this six or seven weeks, but it um, it just, it, it seemed easier to finish in the playoffs than the position that they were in. So to, to, to almost throw it away in the way that they have and, and to have the season end so abruptly really was, it, it was still a difficult one to take, even though it's not anything new with us. You just felt... At times this season, you felt like this team were doing things differently. You know, when you look at how good the away form was for a start, how better, how much better we've been defensively compared to recent seasons. There's, we've made a lot of strides this season, which is why it's so disappointing to to see it all blow up in our faces. The um, match on Wednesday was basically. Forest under lockdown in the space of 96 minutes, really, wasn't it? Because Forest started, they played okay, but then conceded that goal to Danny Bart. Um, and, and, and then they got that equaliser, and that's like getting those seven points out of nine from the first few matches. And then it all really fell away from there. So the standard of performance wasn't great. The ability to um, finish off chances at one end and the ability to keep them out at the other end that failed as well and of course uh, you know just like Forest's season the actual match itself had an absolute sickener because in an attempt to try and uh, you know do what he could Nuno da Costa ended up scoring a comical own goal if, if ever there was a symbol of how Forest's season ended it was that own goal, surely. Um, here's, a th- here's a little bit about what I thought uh, in the immediate aftermath of the match. The last 15 minutes or so of the match, 20 minutes maybe, um, saw Forrest absolutely capitulate. And it's the only thing I can think of is to put it down to, to mental fatigue. Sure, some of the players look leggy um, and Graben and Ribeiro and... 
Samba So have looked out on their feet in the last few matches. But it's down to mentality. Mentality is a word we've heard a lot from Sabri Lamushi, um, married on the Midlands. Um, he sounded like a broken man in his post-match interview. Um, but was it OK for him to kind of say that he had no real explanation for it, bearing in mind the way the season had fallen away? Um, I think it would have been difficult for him to give a detailed explanation at the time. It was, I think, where he, he, he was broken. I mean, I, I felt a lot of sympathy for him at that moment because he is clearly somebody who'd, who'd had their dreams broken right in front of their eyes and he was very, very upset. And to get a very, very upset person to give a, a coherent, logical reason for why it had fallen apart, it probably wasn't the right time. Um, uh, it's, yeah, it would have been difficult for him to do that. It's just that the mentality has failed the last few weeks. It's just... They seem to be playing with fear. That's that's the main thing. I mean, it's it's just when you're doing that, you're gonna make more mistakes. When you you can't relax, you can't play your football, you can't you sort of invite teams onto you like that. It's it's just that whole fear factor. It, it did for us in the end. I think that's the men. We didn't have the mental toughness required um, for those last few games. And um, in fairness to Sabri as well. He started his his interview with Roger Nottingham saying, I don't want to be talking to you. I'm only doing it because I have to. I'm only doing it because it's obligatory. And Steve Hodge afterwards did say, Sabri clearly, you know, he said what he had to. He knew there's no point in getting into explanations because he can't really give one. He needs to take time to gather his thoughts. And also, there's no real point. There's no point answering the questions now because everyone's angry, upset whatever you would say. So in the heat of emotion, I think Sabri also was smart enough to know that there's no point saying anything. Um, Stephen, it's something that a lot of people have been saying and we're all thinking it. Um, It comes back, the mentality thing comes back to that derby match, doesn't it? Because Forrest played so well for 90, what, 95 minutes in that match. They should have won it 3-4-0. And then they conceded an unnecessary late equaliser where it was just a, a calamitous series of events for a minute. If you could pinpoint a moment in the season where you could say that's where it all started to go wrong, that goal against Derby was it. It was it was a free kick that shouldn't have been given away from Joe Worrell, but you know, that can happen late in games when you're seeing out a lead. But then the ball's in the box and it goes in off Chris Martin, who's running in one direction. The ball hits him on the back, goes over the line, and it's a goal. And it just seemed to completely knock the stuffing out of Forest. And it showed in the games that followed Fulham, for example, where they were just just not, not at the races. If Forest had gone into that game and played as they had done against Derby, they'd have, there's every chance they would have got a result against Fulham. I know the Fulham goal was a bit fortunate with the handball and the build-up, and obviously in the end it was a very good strike from Harry Arter, but you just saw, it just felt like Forest were a different team after that Derby game. Um, And the psychological blow of not taking the three points and also against your bitter rivals, I think it was, I, I think it did have an effect on the players and they never really recovered and they didn't win another game between then and the end of the season, it was in the end a run, including the Derby game, of six games without a win. And that is ultimately what cost them their place in the playoffs. Meredith, in the Midlands, would you say that the results in lockdown, with the exception of Derby, were all deserved? Yeah, um, sort of. Uh, yeah, we didn't play well um, in any of those games, really. But that that's nothing new. We haven't played well huge parts of the season but we had the, the ability to get results um, I mean there could be re- the different reasons for this Our players didn't look as fit as the other team's players I don't know, maybe they're, they're going to have to look at that when they sort of analyse what's gone wrong to so the sports science department why we, our players look so leggy compared to the other teams um, the, the mental side of it, I think, comes from the style of play we, we have as well. Just that constantly defending is a very 
tiring way of playing. It's, it wears you out. You're always having to concentrate. And it's, and it's not, as a player, it's not a fun way to play football. To sort of always have to be on your guard, defending, defending, defending. And it's, it leads to lapses of concentration late on in games. It's, it's, it's not an easy way of playing. It's, it's a lot more fun to be a bit more on the front foot, have some attacking joy and, and express yourself. And I think we've really lacked that, not just in lockdown, but for sort of huge parts of the season. We've just, I mean, we've, it's worked for us for, for times, but over the course of the season, I mean, we, we, we haven't lost out on the playoff spot just because of these lockdown games. It's happened over the course of the season. There, there were games earlier on in the season where we've lost, lost goals, Millwall away, uh, Reading away in injury time. There's games where we should have won against struggling teams at home. You think of Charlton at home, Middlesbrough at home. So it, it's, it's not just down to what's happened in the last few games. It's, it's over the course of the season. And just out of interest, I was looking at the league tables from this season and last season. And we've only won one more game this season compared to last season. We've scored less goals this season than we did last season. So, and we've only finished two places higher than last season. So it's not been, although it's felt like a much better season all the way through, it's not actually been that brilliant a season. The playoff total that the teams have got into the playoffs of this year is, is relatively low. Um, normally with 70 points, you'd be sort of finishing around ninth, 10th position. Um, so it, it's not been a great season as it seems overall. But obviously the thing that brings that into sharp focus is the fact that we were in the playoffs for so long and then we weren't at the crucial moment. Um, We've got to ask a question, okay? Um, Briefly, and we'll discuss in a bit more depth in a second, but Maradon the Midlands, should Sabri Lamushi be the Forest head coach next season? Yeah, I, th- I think he should do. I think he's earned the right to to build on this this season and um, and try and learn from his mistakes and and build next season for a, a real push again. Stephen, same question to you. <clears throat> he should be head coach next season. Um, like I say, he's a, he's more than earned the right to have another crack at it next season and. Despite the points made about we're only just a little bit ahead in terms of points and position, I, I think the team has come on leaps and bounds in, in a lot of ways. So I think he deserves another crack at it. Okay, so let's think about some of those uh, positives that we've got. Um, positives is that the squad and the team and the club generally seem pretty united. And in a way that, as fans, we've been able to really... That's why it's felt like such a better season, um, especially after the kind of the farcical sacking of of Karanka with the replacement of O'Neill not working out um, the previous year. So that's a positive. Um, I mean, there's an argument to say that Forest have actually overachieved for the majority of um, of the season, and um, we've been joined by by Baz, and um, I'm going to ask you the same question I've just asked the other two, which is. Has Sabri Lamushi done enough to deserve another crack at managing Forest next season? Um, I would say yes, but only because he was kind of unknown when, when we came into this. And our expectations, we didn't know what to expect. And actually, while the playoffs would have been absolutely perfect, a brilliant outcome, uh, to get this close without... I mean, the way it ended is obviously pretty bad, but to get this close, if it had, if we'd, we'd ended up in this position without crumbling right at the end, but just because we couldn't quite get over the line, then that would have been a different way of looking at it and we'd have been reasonably happy. We would have been, that's good progress over the past few seasons. We're in the best position we've been in for years, so let's build on that. It's only because we crumbled right at the end like that that there's any question about it, I think. Yeah, and ultimately the record books will show that Forrest almost got in the playoffs. Um, with you know, if we take the emotional out of it, Forrest almost got in the playoffs and missed out by one goal, um, which is the closest they've come since 2013. Um, but obviously, we know that there's a, a different story behind it. Um, with 
Sabri. Again, Baz, do you think that Sabri's done anything materially better than I took Aranka before him? The word that Sabri seems to like so much and what part of why the other day was so hard to take is he keeps on using the word mentality. And and you just said as well that, that there's this togetherness about the squad that we've not seen for a while. Uh, and it is that, that's that's the thing that he's instilled. The, the style of play is one thing, the, um, the particular players and whatever are another. But the key thing he seems to have done is got everyone working together. The fact that we collapsed at that point um, is a problem of mentality, as, as you know I've said before. But the... What he has got is everyone playing together in a, in a way that we've not seen since um, since the uh, Ospish Scotsman. Mm. Stephen, do you think that there's going to be an onus on Sabri, or do you? Oh no, let me rephrase that. Stephen, do you think that Sabri wants to play the way he has done over the last year, or do you think that's just basically a pragmatic decision based upon the squad that he had? Uh, I I wonder if it has been a, a product of him coming into the job. I mean, he did come into the job, if you remember, at the beginning of July last year when pre-season had already started. And there were there were only a couple of weeks to go before the start of the season. So I do wonder if that style of play is a, a, a bit of a product of the squad that he's inherited because it is still in places uh, a mix of signings from the last three or four managers um, and I think when you look at the players we have certainly Sabri would have done this, you'd have probably looked at them and thought this is our, the best way to get results out of them and to make them competitive in this league because we haven't spent the levels of money that other teams have been able to, you know the, the teams that have come down from the Premier League in West Brom and Fulham with their parachute payments We've not been able to compete with that. Even Brentford have spent a fair bit of money in, over the last couple of years to help them into the position that they're in. So with that in mind and, and the fact that we haven't certainly last summer spent millions upon millions on the team, I, I think his his style of play is, is partly down to the squad that he inherited. Um, and to be fair to him, I, I, I think to get that squad in the playoffs for the whole of the season, I think he's done very well. Also, when you can factor in what happened in January, where the recruitment wasn't up to scratch, I don't think enough quality was brought in to certainly to, to supplement the first eleven and to, to give Sabri more options in games. I don't think he's had that this season. Mm, I mean, we'll... we'll, we'll... We'll come back to recruitment here um, in a little while. Um, Married on the Midlands, so obviously we, let's take it as read that Sabri was working with a squad that for the most part he didn't choose. But a point that you've, you've made several times throughout the season, and, and I agree with you, is that bearing in mind that one of Forrest's big weaknesses in terms of style of play is that inability to hold on to the ball, doesn't it seem strange that you know, players who have got ability on the ball. Now, we'll come on to the C word um, a little bit later in a bit more depth, but players like Carvalho and then the other one that you keep mentioning, John Bostock, he's got such good ability to um, put his foot on the ball, um, bring it forward, um, transition from defence into a more attacking position and use the ball well. And um, Samba So is the only other midfielder we've got who seems to be able to do that. And Samba So... Um, as far as I'm concerned, he just wasn't fit in that running. So could Sabri have made better use with those resources that he had? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been baffling for me to see why he hasn't used Bostock. I mean, he came in after Sabri was appointed, after having played in the French League for the past few seasons. So I always assumed that as a signing, Sabri would have said, yeah, get him. I've seen him play in France. He's he's going to be a good addition to the squad. And for him to come in and play sort of one game and then never really be used again, it's baffling. I just don't understand it. It's it's it's, it's things like not using him. I and mean, even even the, uh, during the lockdown podcast we did just before the game started, we thought it was obvious that players like him and Carvalho 
would get more of a run out because of the sheer number of games and the and the fatigue that would that was going to come into play, and for them not to really get on the pitch apart from sort of fifteen minutes here and five minutes there in the first couple of games, it's just weird. I just don't understand it. It's just I don't I don't get why he wouldn't use a fifteen million pound player who who's who's been sort of just shunned now and Bostock an experienced strong physical good passer of the ball got a good shot on him I don't I just don't get it why he kept on playing the same players over and over again even though they're obviously shattered the last few games it just doesn't make any sense okay let's talk about Carvalho won the real the new bits of information to most of us that came out over the last day or two was Danny Taylor and the Athletic um, reporting that Raul Carvalho, one of the reasons that Sabri, um, you know, throws him out is because having not been in the team, there's a feeling that Sabri wanted Raul Carvalho to be kind of almost banging on his door and saying, no, Gaffer, put me in the team, give me a chance. And Carvalho didn't do that. Now, I wonder if that's partly, that could be Carvalho's personality. It could be down to the the fact that he got crocked in the brutal way in pre-season and it affected his confidence. Um, but we've heard a lot about Sabri Lamushi being a great man-manager with, the, you know, for example, having that core of senior players, Graben, Watson, Dawson, uh, the fact that he's um, brought the best out of Matty Cash and Joe Worrell. Um, we've heard a lot about that kind of ability to relate to his players and put an arm around them and manage them. And Baz, it seems odd that he doesn't really wanted to, he didn't really want to do the same with the Carvalhos and the Bostocks and the Semedos of the team. Or is that just the nature of modern football management where he's too focused upon the things that he was faced with at that moment in time to spend the energy working with those other players? Well, I think, I think I disagree with you, Stephen, um, that I think this style of play that he's put in place is what he wanted. I can remember viewing a few YouTube clips of his previous sides and reading a summary of it, and he likes people that run with the ball. And Carvalho and Bostock aren't runners with the ball. They hold the ball and, and pick out a pass kind of players. So I think... To some extent, he was. I don't know why why Bostock was brought in. If that's the case, so whatever the recruitment policy behind the scenes is, I'm not entirely sure. But I think that the, the style of play that those two players bring isn't what Sabri was looking for. So the fact that, and I, I can perfectly see that Carvalho maybe went into his shell. Maybe that's his his personality coming through there. But the fact that he wasn't knocking down his door and demanding that he get a place in the squad, coupled with the fact that Sabri didn't see him as the type of player who could fit, that would make sense to me. Maradon the Midlands, going back to that man management question, is that, I say, we've heard lots of good things about Sabri's man management, but is that a failing on his part? It is. I mean, the thing I've, I've sort of, sort of realisation I've had in the last sort of week or two, sort of thinking about the way we play and, and Sabri is a, I think he might be a disciple of Mourinho. Um, it's the way we play, so very tight, very compact, just having one striker up front, wingers who run with the ball and, and support the striker. It all suddenly started to make much more sense to me that, that he is maybe a, <laughs> a disciple of Mourinho. And that's why we've been playing the way we've been playing. Um, it's, I just, yeah, I think it is a failure. When you, when you, as a, the club, the club, well, the hierarchy will be grilling him at the moment. We've got directors of football, uh, sporting directors, whoever, whoever the, the owner, they will be grilling him and saying, we've got a £15 million asset there who's depreciating by the week every time you don't play him. Why have you done that? You've cost us £15 million quid in that respect. They'll be grilling into why you haven't used all these players we've brought in for you. I mean, it's just as Tyler Walker came in. We we paid money for Tyler Walker to end his loan spell at Lincoln, and he played what five minutes of one game and started the second game. It's just uh, it doesn't make any sense. So they they will be on his back. They will want a good explanation as to why these things happen. Why he hasn't been able to man manage and man manage the squad a bit better, use those players. And I think when you've got an asset like him, like like 
Carvalho in the squad. You have to use him. We saw it last year. You could get a goal out of nothing. I, I remember the free kicks he scored. The, 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 there's a goal against Sheffield Wednesday when he combined with Bez, Ben Osborne. It's just when we, we've scored so few goals this season. It's just the majority of the games when we score, it's just like a one goal. That's it. And then when it's just watching the games and listening to the games during the course of the season, you know when we scored our one goal, we're not going to get another goal. So it's either a one nil win or we're going to get a draw out of it. It's just, um, it's uh, it's been dispiriting in many ways. Stephen, um, on the question of Carvalho, uh, we saw that he came back last season after being frozen out under Martin O'Neill. And he was able to have a bit of an impact on the team. Um, do we read any anything into the fact that this time round he well he had a few chances um, to to play and he didn't really take those chances on the whole. Yeah, those games that come to my mind were Wigan and Sheffield Wednesday at home, where he started and just never made the most of that opportunity. And there's been a few times this season where he's done that. Um, you, you, going back to last season where you look at that Middlesbrough game under Martin O'Neill where Boris set themselves up slightly differently. Carvalho was in amongst that on the left-hand side of a, of a front attacking three and gave one of his best performances in a Forest shirt. However, the way Sabri likes to play, we, he wants wingers who are prepared to attack, but also come back and just do that, that defensive work on top of the attacking side. And I don't see Carvalho as that kind of player. I don't think he, I don't think he has that, the, that sort of graft in him and that, that willingness to come back and, and do the dirty stuff. Compare him to a player like Thiago Silva. I think they're very similar players in, in, in a lot of aspects, but Thiago Silva's in the team because while he also provides some attacking impetus, he's prepared to put his foot in and he's prepared to do the runs in midfield and cover more ground than Carvalho. And I think in a Sabri Lamushi system, that's probably more important. I think something really important about that Middlesbrough game as well is it was a meaningless game. So the fact that Carvalho doesn't do the, the dirty work and come back didn't matter. And that's why he was given the freedom to do what he wanted to do. Whereas I don't think uh, we've, we've not had a meaningless game this season. And I don't think any of the managers, apart from apart from Karanga, who effectively built the side around him, any of the other managers trust him enough because of that. <clears throat> I think it's always going to be difficult for him playing in a system under Sabri Lamushi, unless Sabri changes the system, the way we're set up, we're, we start off deep in our own half. And the forward players are always quite isolated. But for him to sort of, sort of to thrive, we'd need to move sort of a good 10, 15 metres up the pitch and really change our way of playing instead of just sitting back and letting the teams come back onto us. We're going to have to have a more pressing game, sort of closing down and sort of, have that sort of chaos in midfield and then just be on the ball more. But I don't think Sabri will ever do that. So I can't see a future for him at the club if Sabri's here. So marriage on the Midlands, you know, taking that theme, do you think one of the differences was that last season under Karanka, Karanka put him in a midfield where he had, he was paired with Jack Colback and Ben Osborne uh, and Joe Lolly, who are good at running with the ball and moving the ball around, which gives Carvalho that bit of extra space. Yeah, and, and we just had a bit more of the ball as well in the Karanka. Not not a huge amount more, but a, a little bit more. Um, it was a slightly different attacking slant on it. And he, yeah, he, there was no no pressure on him, no responsibility to do any defensive work. Whereas you look at a, 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 a Sabri Lamushi team, every single player has that defensive duty. We saw in that in the first 10 minutes against Swansea, um, who was it? Um, De Costa was on the right-hand side and he just, for just for the first five minutes, he just wasn't running back as much as he should be and the whole system sort of collapsed because they were just running straight onto our defence. We were sitting quite deep. 
And so this is just if unless unless we change fundamentally change the way we play and sort of move further up the field and and engage the opposition more, and be prepared to sort of win the ball higher and play with a higher line, it's it's just not going to work for somebody like like Carvalho. It's just not it's not how he's grown up playing, and it's just it's not in his physical physical makeup to do that sort of thing. He's he's not physically strong enough, I don't think. So using your Mourinho analogy. Is Carvalho to Lamushi what Christian Eriksen has been to Jose Mourinho, and who obviously is no longer at the club? Yeah, well, there's players all, all through Mourinho's history where he's just, just not used them, um, and he's just sort of got rid of them. Um, it's just he's, he's just not going to play him. It's, it's I mean, using the Mourinho analogy, it's fine if you're winning. Um, nobody minds if you if you're not playing pretty football. But as soon as as soon as they they stop winning, people start saying, "Oh, Mourinho's football is so boring. It's outdated. He's been overtaken by Klopp, by by Guardiola. It's just by Pochettino. It's just not the same." Even now, you hear Tottenham fans moaning that, yeah, they're they're just not good to watch. And and then that that prompted Mourinho to come out and say, "Well." If since I've been here, we've been the fourth best team in the league in terms of results, and that's probably that's true. But they've not been very good to watch, and for it's it's a very similar situation at Boris. Now, during the course of the season, we we often said we, we're not a pretty watch, but we were winning. So nobody nobody publicly came out and said, "Oh God, this is terrible to watch." But if you're not winning and you're watching terrible football, which for huge parts of the season, the home fans. I've seen pretty poor football. Not, it's not been entertaining. And the amount of conversations I've had with people with season ticket holders said, yeah, it's not good to watch. It's, it's pretty boring at times. It's, it's a problem if you're not winning. You're, you're going to have a problem. The pressure is going to build on the Mushi next season if, if that's the case. Stephen, just you know, thinking about that thing to do with, with results. I mean, it comes back, to, without wanting to go back to the days of Mark Wolverton, but... It's about plan B, isn't it? There, there is an element of that. I just want to kind of touch on the point there that Maradona was just making. The, uh, I completely agree the football at home hasn't been great. And if you're a season ticket holder, you, you probably would feel a, a little bit shortchanged at times this season. But to counteract that, the away form has been very, very good on the whole. The, Forest's away record has improved massively this season and some of the away performances uh, off the top of my head and the one that I saw at Fulham was an excellent performance and the goal, the first goal for Lewis Graben where every every Forest player touched the ball before it hit the back of the net. That was a, an excellent away performance and then going to places like Brentford and beating them at Griffin Park, another massive result and a great performance and even going back to the very start of the season away at Leeds now a lot of us were thinking we'll probably get beaten three or four here you know this is going to be a really really tough game but Forrest dug in and put in a very good performance and they showed that they can compete with the top sides in the league but I while those have been positives I do agree that when we're at home I think we we need to find ways of creating more and putting teams away with more clinical finishing. Now, whether that's bringing somebody in to support Lewis Graben, bringing in different players in midfield who can perhaps find goal a bit better. Um, and even looking at um, kind of the, the wider squad, maybe we need a few different, a couple of different midfielders just to be able to give Sabri some different options. Um, so when I, when I look at the, the results as a whole, yes, it's been it's been some disappointment. But away from home, it's we've probably been set up to play away from home all season, which has been great away from home. But at home, it's caused a few issues, and we haven't been able to quite finish teams off in the way that we probably would have wanted to. Which, in my mind, is potentially a way of saying digging in is all well and good, but when you haven't got the physical and mental energy to dig in, you need to think about other things. And again maybe there is a bit of a lack of a plan B there. Let's talk about personnel then, because it's something that we can't, we can't avoid. Um, 
in January, there was talk about Forrest having a strong interest in Dwight Gale. Uh, Sabri apparently wanted to bring in Luke Freeman from Sheffield United to play as a kind of a converted winger slash number 10, uh, sorry, inverted winger slash number 10. Um, there's a few people talking about Lyle Taylor as well, although I don't know how serious that was. We discussed it at the time. But when you're recruiting mid-season, recruiting mid-season is always difficult anyway. Recruiting mid-season to, to say to a player, oh, by the way, we want you in as a striker, but you're not going to be the first choice striker. Or we want you to come in as a winger, but you're not going to be the first choice winger. You're, we want you as a number 10, but you're not going to be the first choice. That makes it doubly hard, doesn't it? And, um, and then, you know, to, to put it into perspective, uh, as, as was commented upon recently, Forrest wanted um, Dwight Gale, Camille Grisicki and Luke Freeman. And we got Nuno da Costa, Adami Diakabi and Gaetan Bong. Um, Baz, that's not good enough, is it? No. Well, again, as you say, I think re- relying on January signings is is not good enough in the start. The, the, the part of the issue was that we didn't have backup for Lewis Graben from the summer. Um, why, why ever that happens, and so we were chasing a striker in January when when it's not the best time to buy one. Um, and the same goes with whatever um, with with Bong. It's like, well, I suppose on paper he kind of looked good, but didn't come through. Uh, De Costa actually, uh, this since the restart, I've been really impressed with him. But um, and and he looks like the right sort of player to fit into the system that we've got. So on that front, I think yeah, we've probably got a good one there. But the 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 fact that we were relying on January signings, so January signings should be like the cherry on the cake, not the we need a fundamental strengthening of the side, and that's kind of what we ended up with. Married on the Midlands, um, would you say that recruitment's actually been a problem? in a bit longer than that because as I discussed with over the Trent podcast Sabri probably didn't have that much of a say in that many of the players who were brought in I mean we would imagine that he had something you know bringing in like Brees Samba maybe when we'd already signed Murich um, that seems like a manager saying no I don't like this goalkeeper there's another good goalkeeper let's get him in Um, but for every Samba and Thiago Silva and Samba So, we've also had a Murich or uh, a Diakabi or even worse, a Bong. Um, so there's something not quite right in the recruitment. And I'm just wondering if this is down to the fact that our recruitment team, they are not that familiar themselves with the championship I think there's a lot of learning throughout the club to do with what it's like playing in the championship don't you um no I I think that's a bit harsh on them I think they've since since they've been in the the quality of signings and the fit for the championship has improved immensely um you look at look back at the players we signed last summer the the only one thing we were missing was a striker and they're like gold dust in football, everybody would say they need another striker. Um, the mistake we made was letting Tyler Walker go. Um, if we'd probably kept Walker and Mir, it probably would have looked okay, but I'm not convinced Sabri would have played them. That's, that's the only thing. It's just fine saying we bring in other players, but I'm not convinced Sabri would play the other players. January was a bit of a disaster because we ended up with a weaker squad at the end of the window than we had at the beginning of it. Um, Losing Robinson was a good deal, um, but the, the the one that really hurt us, I think, was losing um, Chema because mm. he filled in two positions. He looked like he was a player coming into his peak, and he, he's a good player. And to lose him, that was a that was a major problem. Um, and it's gonna we're gonna we still we'll have to replace him in the summer. The striker situation, I don't think any of those were realistic. I think Lyle Taylor's shown what what he's done by not playing at Charlton, they already had a deal lined up for the end of the season. We'll see where he ends up um, with this free transfer now. I don't think that was ever going to be a realistic one. Dwight Gale, similarly, was never a realistic one. Once, as soon as West Brom came in for Krasicki, we wouldn't have been able to compete with wages there. Um, so, 
Freeman maybe would have been a good signing, but I can't see him fitting into that team. I just he's he's not a physical enough player. I just don't see how he would have got into the team where Carvalho and another players Bostock haven't got into the team. So I'm not sure Sabri would have used him anyway if we had got him in. But yeah, looking forward, an, another striker is a is a priority to back Lewis up. Um, but we can have all the strikers we want. If we don't create the chances, it's not going to do much good. We we create so few chances. To say we've got our goal scoring record is sort of lower mid table compared to the other teams in the division, and we just don't create enough. And saying we to say we've got one of the best strikers in the league playing for us, and we still only sort of scored fifty eight goals. It's it's poor. Let's think about what happens next then, because we're going to have players going out. We've got the Lonies who will be leaving. So, you know, your Samedos and your Bostocks, for, for what difference that makes, bearing in mind that they didn't really play that much. Um, and dear Carby, I mean, if I have no idea if he's any good, because as we've discussed before, he's a player who looks like he's scared of his own shadow right now. Um, so, um, but he's, he cannot stay at Forest. Um, and then we can realistically expect at least one first-teamer to leave to balance the books, and odds on it would be Matty Cash. Now, Stephen, I I think if Cash leaves, it's not the end of the world in the sense that we've got two other right-backs and we've got Jaden Richardson, who is, who's had a good season at Exeter and may be willing to challenge for the first team. But obviously, in terms of the style of play, Jenkinson and Dariqua are defenders primarily, um, and Cash is more of an attacking player. So if Cash does go, it does suggest that Forrest would have to think about changing that style of play somewhat, don't you think? It would, yes. I think Cash has been actually quite pivotal in the way that Forrest play. If you note particularly the difference towards the end of the season where Jenkinson played a couple of games and then Cash came back in, the two of them playing different styles. So Jenkinson, when he goes forward, he looks to then come inside and he's looking for a player to pass the ball to and he's looking for a bit of link-up play, whereas Cash can be a bit more direct and he can start looking to go towards the byline, getting crosses in or linking up with Joe Lolly. And if Cash was to move on, I think we would miss that attacking threat that he brings from the right-back position. And... Perhaps that's where we would look at a Jaden Richardson and see if he can step into that role because from what I've seen of him at Exeter, he looks like he's a bit more more in that cash mould of more attacking. And in in this system with Sabri, I think that's more important, having those full-backs that can push on and look to join the attack. And I don't think Dariqua and Jenkinson are quite up to it. Maradon, the Midlands. Midlands. There's an argument to say, actually, Worrell would be easier to replace just because simply, even if we don't sign anyone else, um, the style the style difference, if you replace Worrell with Benalouan or Dawson, is maybe a little bit easier to overcome in terms of how it affects the balance of the team. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and getting a, a centre-back in is pr- has proved pretty easy for us over the last couple of years. We've, we've uh, had a lot of them. Like, yeah, like Papini, uh, Panini stickers. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, it, it would be a shame. I mean, in an ideal situation, we keep both of them and we build a team strong enough not only to go up but to stay up. I mean, if, if by some miracle we had got, in, got through the playoffs and gone up, we, we would have been straight back down because the team is way, way, way too weak to survive and it would have required major surgery. We're still sort of two years away from being close to being a team that can survive in, in the Premier League. So in an ideal situation, we, we keep both cash and moral somehow, maybe may hoping that the uh, financial restraints in the world of football mean that people aren't prepared to spend big, big on, on either of them. And we build the team and we improve the team and they're a year older and a year wiser and, and come next season, we're we're sitting there promoted with a team capable of sort of competing in the Premier League. But that that might be fantasy football. Uh, that might be 
I can't say the word now. Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Might be dreaming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy for you to say. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, what I would say is that obviously with lockdown and the way it's affected FFP, then um, Forest might be doing okay. So in that case, maybe it would boil down to whether Worrell and Cash get offers to move up a level, in which case you can't, difficult to stand in someone's way, but they both indicated in the past that they're happy to, you know, to they'd rather be playing week in, week out at Forest and challenging for something than, you know, being on the bench in a lower lower level Premier League team. Um, Baz, on the subject of, of FFP and and all of that, I mean, we've got this bomb squad. It also looks as though Watson may well want to move on because he lives in South London and he's, he's got a young family down there. If QPR were to make him an offer and they can um, offer him decent wages, then it does... It weakens our squad, but it weakens our squad of an ageing player who's probably on Premier League wages. And, you know, it's difficult to argue that if Boris still do still have contact with Jack Colback, it'd be difficult to argue that that wouldn't be an upgrade. It's a funny one, that. So if, if, I, if I was Sabri and in charge of recruitment, which neither of those things are true, the, the area I would look at would be the, the midfield in general. Because considering we've played most of the season with effectively five midfielders, I think we've not been strong enough. Uh, we've, not, we've not controlled games from the middle of the park. And you know what I think about, uh, about midfielders. That, that's where, where the right things happen. We play with two, often with two defensive midfielders, but we've not controlled games from there. And that's part of the reason why our possession stats tend to fall down so low. And so while Watson's done an outstanding job, in some ways, I wouldn't be sorry to see him go as long as we could figure out how to replace him because I think that strength right at the centre of the park, and that's why Samba So has been so important for us is because he gives us both what Watson does, but also drives the team forward. So, and that's obviously the style that Sabri's been looking for as well. So, so that's losing Watson in some ways wouldn't be such a bad thing as long as we could do something to rebuild the, the midfield in that, in that other style, if that makes sense. And I think that Colback is that kind of player. I mean, we think that about Bostock as well, don't we? But Colback's, you know, not scared to kind of put in a tackle. And of course, he got a yellow card every single match. And so you think that Colback and So would have that ability to maybe break things up, but also bring the ball out and then add a bit of forward momentum, which is something that Watson's never really been able to do. And if there's been a problem with Forest midfield, Maradon in the Midlands, I would say it's just that they, because they don't bring it forward. And Samba So was the one man, and we commented on this halfway through the season, he's the one man who seemed able to get a foot on the ball, look up, bring it forward and then pass the ball in front of his teammate. So I think Colback's the kind of player who also does that. As we've argued, Bostock is probably the kind of player who can do that, but for whatever reason, that's not worked out. So if Watson's off the wage bill, do you think that Colback would maybe be a reasonable um, target? Yeah, I suppose so now that we're in the championship for another season, he's shown that he can, he can play well at this level. I, I can't see why not. I mean, he, might still be expensive in terms of his his expectations of the wages. I mean, if they can pull, if they can pull another Samba Sao out of Russia or France or Portugal or something like that on sort of half the wages, that would obviously be preferable. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's an obvious signing. Um, but I don't know if if it will happen. There'll probably be other clubs looking at him as well. Okay, I mean, I think we all agree that for a team that. That for you know the, the the reliance on the of the team on the fullbacks and the wingers to do all the heavy lifting creatively um, is something that it doesn't make sense. If you've got if you're playing a four two three one or a four one four one, you need the central midfielders to do more. And a big criticism I saw in the comments of an article on the Athletic this really hit home with me. We've got loads of midfielders who just seem to want to pass the ball sideways or backwards. And I think that needs to change. We need a little bit more forward impetus coming from the midfield. And, and as you said, Maradon, the Midlands, it seems strange that Sabri, as a midfielder who has played in expansive teams, um, that he, he doesn't want that. But then, as we've also, um, we were discussing off-air, um, this is Sabri Lamouche, who's played as a number six defensive midfielder in Italy. So 
maybe that's rubbed off on them a bit more. I don't know if you've got any views on that. Yeah, uh, I just... I, don't, I mean, I don't think the criticism of playing paint sideways is really true because we, if we were doing that, we'd, we'd keep possession a lot more. We, I wish we did that a bit more. Um, it's, it's just, um, I don't know. It's, he does have that sort of mentality of, of not losing first and I just don't think that's going to be enough. That, that gets you to a certain level. I mean, just looking back at sort of historic league tables down down the years for the, the championship, teams that go up automatically always score a load of goals. They get sort of 75, 80 goals every season. So we're going to have to find sort of another 25 goals from somewhere. And we're not going to do that sort of by playing this way. It's just it's just not going to happen. He's it, going to have to have an evolution of his, his thinking, of his philosophy to see how we can improve that forward momentum going forwards and, and, and improve the team because we're not going to get promoted playing this way. It's just not going to happen. Mm. Stephen, just very briefly on the subject of recruitment, what do you think we should be aiming to do, no matter, you know, in terms of in terms of building a team but also a squad that can challenge next season? I think we need to look at improving the options we have off the bench should Sabri stay you need to give him the tools to get the job done and get over the line next season so that means improving the midfield options giving him another striker to work with because Graben's going to be a year older and I think we'd do very well to get him through another season without injury or without you know a period where we might need to rotate him and sort of take that pressure off. And I think with hindsight now, looking at these last seven or eight games of the season, having somebody who could come in and challenge Graben would have been helpful. What I'm hoping as well now is the fact that we've been up there for most of the season and we have mounted a playoff challenge, even if it collapsed in the final few minutes, I would hope that's now going to make Forrest a more attractive proposition because look at some of the players we were linked with in January. Grzycki moved on to West Brom, who, having come down from the Premier League and were challenging, were a more attractive proposition. Even West Brom as well signing Callum Robinson. A player like Callum Robinson on loan from Sheffield United would have probably given us a bit bit more in the final few months of the season. So I'm hoping that we build on what has been put in place so far this season. I also hope the recruitment teams learn from where things perhaps didn't quite go so well this year and that we, we create a more rounded squad for Sabri to work with for the next campaign. As we've discussed many, many times before, it's the hope that kills you. Um, Baz, I'm just going to finish with you, if I may. Um, you've, you've said before about how you live in Leeds, and of course we say congratulations to Leeds on, on being worthy champions in the end. Um, best team in the division by far, but that's also because they've got the world's best coach, in my humble opinion. Is there something that we can do to learn from how Leeds didn't manage to go up last season and then they collapsed and then they actually looked pretty effective for, you know, 90% of this season? Well, I think, yeah, the, the thing with the, the impression I get from Leeds is the the players this season understood what Bielsa was asking them to what asking him to do and were prepared to do it much more so it was it was a matter of the fact that he'd bedded in and his philosophy was running through the club much stronger this time round because actually the way they played wasn't different the uh, the personnel wasn't that different um but what was different was the mentality was much much stronger this this time round everyone knows their job they're drill it's drilled into them and that's kind of why they can play that way and presumably that's also why Stuart Dallas can play in a different position every week and still be an eight out of ten why Johnny Alioski can play at left back despite being a winger and so on and so forth so absolutely um, yeah it's, it seems to be that each player is given a playbook this is what you do in this situation and just go out and do it okay so could I'm not going to say could Sabri be the next Bielsa, but there's some similarities there in terms of he wants to get the players to perform to the maximum of their ability. They get knackered as a result. 
um, he has converted players from one position to another or one style of play to another. Is there any hope and, that Forrest can do that? Well, so one of the things that struck me was actually at the start of the season, Joe Worrell said, he just tells me what to do. Um, which does sound like the same thing. It's almost like each player does have a playbook to follow. And as we've discussed in the past, a lot of footballers, they like to be told what they need to do, don't they? So, um, okay, well, we'll leave it there. As To go right back to where we started today, this, this wasn't supposed to be the end of season podcast. It really has been an, a crying shame that, that Forest have fallen at the last hurdle. Um, on the whole, there, was, there, there are some positives to pick up on in terms of the progress that Forrest made. We've had players who've played better for at least the three quarters of the season than they have done in a red shirt before. We've had players who found new roles in the team, who've developed leadership qualities. But also we've seen that we need more from the coach and we need more from some of the players, both physically and mentally and tactically. So we wish you all, listeners, uh, a good summer. The new season is only six weeks away. Um, so let's just hope that next season we see better things. Whoever the coaches, whoever the players are, will still be the fans and we will still be supporting the Reds. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.